Okay, have you all cleared up by now, Kevin Snyder? <laughs> yeah, very small. Yes. Uh, no. uh, so, I get to do the preaching today. What's that? No joke. I don't have a phone, so I can't look up a joke. So Pastor Kevin kind of gave me my choice of what I get to preach about. Uh, I got the text. He said, well, okay, since as you hopefully know, we've been going through a series that Pastor Kevin's been doing, and that's on uh, basically our requirement, our need, and our willingness to witness Christ to everyone, uh, and the importance of that. And so there's a series of, of passages of the scriptures that uh, Kevin had selected quite a while in advance. For you guys, I hope you really appreciate all the work Kevin puts into his messages. I hope you all appreciate how much effort he puts into it, how much effort goes into all his planning, and how far in advance he actually has thought out what he would like to preach about. Because that's very important, very impressive, and something I really enjoy about our pastor. Uh, his, his always got this on his mind. And so he said, hey, these are the passages which I already knew about. We discussed it before, and then he said, well, you get picked. So I get picked. So that's what I did. So that is why we're going to be in Romans 10, 9-17. Romans 10, 9-17. Of course, we'll be hitting other passages as, as we go along, but... Uh, that is the bulk of our text today. I don't know about you, but being grown up Pentecostal, it was, uh, and maybe a lot of you, even if you weren't Pentecostal, had this, we would have these one or two week revival meetings. Okay, yeah, you got some of those. Uh, they were called evangelistic meetings, revival meetings, um, similar terms like that. And they were always in the dead of the summer. So, of course, back in the day when, of course, there was no air-conditioned sanctuaries and all that, so it was really always hot, and it was always in the evening, and it was hotter in the building than outside. And so I can remember those quite well, and it would be a week or two long, and uh, it seemed to me in my childhood that the objective was a couplefold. One was to get us all kind of back on track. Uh, you know, if you've been wandering off the path a little bit, then we're going to kind of help you back on the path. And then to get you motivated to do what? Witness. Thank you, Phil. <laughs> no. All right. So that was the thing. So that they kind of followed along in this vein. So I can remember uh, usually there, not always, but usually there was an outside speaker that came in from wherever, in our case, a denomination, uh, some God would send some person that was coming through our area, and they would spend one or two weeks uh, there. And usually the pastor did what I'd call the uh, prep work, you know, got us all uh, motivated and uh, praying and etc. and then these evangelistic meetings would start. And, of course, our, our responsibility as congregants was to bring as many people as we could to these meetings. So that, that was the premise behind that. And so uh, my mom would tell us kids to dutifully go out to the neighborhood and invite every single kid we could uh, to might, might want to come to our church. 
Yeah, they kind of knew we were weird, so they didn't really want to show up. <laughs> and they heard about Pentecostals and speaking in tongues and stuff like that. So they just went through the conversation. But we still went out and asked our friends if they wanted to show up on a hot, sticky night in the summertime and hang out for an hour and a half to two hours and etc. You can see how well that was. <laughs> All right. So that was kind of how that those things kind of went. And the, the gist, at least for us, at least in our church, and maybe it was the same for you, um, I got this feeling that... To be a good witness for Christ, to, to do the thing of the gospel, if you weren't going to be a missionary to deepest, darkest Africa, you weren't cutting the mustard. You were just some notch, probably four or five below what is a good Christian supposed to be doing. And, and that was kind of my takeaway. Okay? And I don't know if I can speak for everybody else, but I've had a few other people say, you know, they got the same as I did, magically enough, that, boy, if you're not going to be a missionary somewhere out there, you're really not doing the thing of the Lord. You're not really being a good witness. All right? You're, you're, you're selfish. Okay? You need to be willing to sacrifice. So with that kind of backdrop in my blames, if you will, from a kid, I always kind of struggled with it. I, I wondered about it. I wondered, well, is that something I'm supposed to go do? <laughs> Am I supposed to be a missionary? Am I supposed to be doing that. And, and it's a funny thing that something as a child that still lingers in your mind when you're an adult. So some of you that know my testimony at a certain point when I was, I was 27, I was on board a ship somewhere out in the ocean. Um, it came to me. It came clearly to me in these passages of scripture that I'm going to read that I actually was already doing exactly that, but I didn't know it. And so I'm going to read this. Um, we're going to start in Romans 12, 1 and 2, which a lot of you have already memorized and know by heart. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. What was God asking all of us to do? Every one of us. All right. To be a living sacrifice. Be willing to sacrifice ourselves, our whatever we have, our finances, our time, to do what? To do whatever it is God it is not necessarily being a missionary out in deepest darkness, Africa, but to do that thing that God has laid before you, that thing. And in that process, don't be conformed to this world's standards, because the world's standards are clearly not God's standards. And in the world's standards, particularly now in our day and time, being a, a missionary is not as well regarded as it used to be. Not I'm saying among Christians, but among those that are lost. Because why are you interfering in their culture with your white man's religion? Why are you doing that? That is the mindset that you'll get in our culture today. Very different from what we got when we were growing up, at least for myself, and I'm sure a lot of you. 
So, so it's an interesting thing that that is the mindset of many today. But we're not to be conformed to that. We're to be conformed to what the scriptures teach us to do. And that we're going to, as we are discerning the Lord's will for our life, we're going to do those things that are acceptable to Him. Not necessarily to anybody else, but to Him. Now, in Romans 10, 9-17. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So how tough is it to be saved? Not that hard. It's not real difficult. You don't have to do some amazing thing. You don't have to say 40 prayers. I know from some of my Catholic friends, rosaries and, and that sort of thing, and for my Greek Orthodox friends, you have to do certain things. No. It's really simple. It's right there. It's in one sentence. It's that simple. And because it's that simple, that confuses people because they think they need to do a whole lot of other stuff. But no, you don't. It's that basic. God didn't make this a difficult thing. He didn't send his son, Christ, to die on a cross so he could make salvation a complicated issue for us. He made it really simple. And that's how simple the gospel message has to be and can be. We tend to complicate it with a whole lot of other stuff that does not need to be there. So, I, I point it out again. What is it? Believe they will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Believe, confess. Believe, confess. That's not hard. Believe, confess. Okay, that's what you're doing. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How many? Oh, everyone. Everyone. So there is no secret number that gets in. That's 144,000. No, are you part of that? No. It's everyone. Everyone is in that situation. Everyone can be saved. Right? It's that basic. The scripture says it so. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what, we, what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of God. So... All this is real familiar to you. You've all heard these scriptures. This is not some surprise. And a, a lot of you folks know that uh, my heart is that of an evangelist. So a lot of you might go like, well, Dean, that's really easy for you to say all that stuff and do all that stuff because that's what you kind of like to do and, and that's kind of your thing. Uh, that's kind of true or not true. Just like anybody here, I have just as much uh, angst about presenting the gospel to somebody I don't know from home now. 
as anyone else. But in doing that, I know, because again, I've known some of my testimony, I need to do that. I have to do that. It's life or death for that individual. We don't see that that way. I understand that. We don't understand or see the urgency of the matter. And I do all the time. And maybe that makes me a weird guy. I don't know. I can't answer that question. But I, I sense that urgency. Because I don't know if that individual I'm dealing with on any given day doing the home inspection is going to ever know about Christ or know anything of Christ or if he's going to go down the road and have an automobile accident. And that's it. I don't know that. Alright, so again, maybe that makes me an odd person. I can't tell you that. But all I do know is something that, that I think about. Something that I consider. And because of that, I, I feel the need uh, to present the gospel message. Now, I don't just, out of the blue, start this conversation. Are you saved? Yeah. <laughs> Man, generally that doesn't work that good. Although, now my dear sister will do that. Some of you who know my sister knows that's exactly what she's going to do. And in some of the most inopportune moments. But that's okay, that's what she does. And uh, because she's just so little, nobody seems to be threatened by her. But in any event, uh, I'm not recommending that is the, the routine and then stuff trapped in her hand and, and, uh, and then walk off. Uh, but I am saying that developing, as you've heard me say more than a few times, relationships with other people becomes important. And it's not just us all here, relationships with people in the world. Uh, how They're the ones that need the Word of God. They need that salvation. Yes, we come together here to encourage one another here in this body of believers. That, that's what we do. All right? But the objective is for all of us to go out and encourage the others that are around us in this lost and dying world. That is part of what we're supposed to be doing. One of the things that is not very popular anymore to talk about, to discuss, to mention, and I have no problem mentioning it and do it pretty often, is... Those folks that don't know Christ, they're on a collision course and it's called hell. And hell is no good place to go or be. And I know it's no longer popular to preach about that place. For some reason, Satan disappeared and so did hell. No, it didn't, and no, he didn't either. And that deception is just widespread throughout the whole world. And so when I mention Satan, people look at me like, oh, well, didn't you get the message? Well, he doesn't exist. Well, yeah, he does, and you're deceived by him because that's why you just said that. And and if you are willing to take that chance, willing to be confrontational about their end-of-life situation, which is hell, if they're not a believer, then you're going to find either A, a lot of pushback, or B, some real interest. Because they haven't heard that. And it's an unfortunate thing that in many churches, that's no longer... Preach because somebody might be offended. Well, Christ offended a whole lot of people on a regular basis. It didn't seem to bother him at all. Okay? So what makes us think that that message, which Christ made very clear, when we preach it, people are going to be offended? What makes us think of change? He didn't. Don't be offended. Okay, that's fine. Be offended. Uh, I, I have an obligation to tell you the truth. When I do a home inspection, my job isn't to tell them the house is wonderful and perfect and it's great. It's a mold pit full of mold and old termites or whatever else. Then House happens to be here today. He does a lot of mold remediation 
he can tell you some really interesting stories. But when he shows up to remediate, he gets to see a lot of the stuff I already saw. We don't go over there and tell him, you know what, that's a little bit of a part of the problem. Don't worry about that. That's not a problem. Don't worry about No, that stuff can kill you. All right? That's nothing to fool around with. I can't tell you how many homes I've been in. People have had chronic illnesses and not known the chronic illness was from the mold that was in the house. All right? There is, if you wish to take the time in the book of Leviticus, a whole long thing about mold. Okay? Uh, Dan, uh, when he would work with me, was working with me, we would read these various things and listen to them, and, uh, and then we would have this common thing. And they were unclean till evening. <laughs> Go read Leviticus and you'll get what we're talking about. Alright, so the point is, don't sugarcoat it. Tell the truth. Alright? They're, they're going to hell. Why aren't you telling them? You're, you're afraid? You might offend them? They'll be more offended when they're in hell. I can guarantee you that. At that part, I can guarantee. So, I think it's important to be honest, to be truthful, uh, to recognize the urgency of the moment, and to willingly present that to whomever you're with. I just finished a book that uh, Vince uh, White Pan gave to me. Uh, about the, the name of the title of the book is The Heavenly Man. And Brother Yun, a Chinese pastor in the home church movement there in China, it's a it's a, an amazing uh, biography of this man and the work he did in China. And what astounds me throughout this whole book is he and everyone in China involved in that movement knows that their life is at risk at all times. Imprisonment is almost a guarantee, and loss of everything is assured after that. And so. He, is, he spends his whole life, and he's still to this day, presenting the gospel message to whoever might listen to him. And, and what did he get for his reward? He got to go to prison multiple times. Beatings after beatings, starvation, and every kind of terrible, rotten thing you can imagine that could happen to any person. Did God save him through that? Did God deliver him through that? Yes. Many people will reach for Christ. And as he pointed out, when he was in prison, he managed to bring many prisoners to Christ, including the communist leaders over him, who then became secret Christians. That's okay. They had to remain secret to maintain their positions. But within those positions, they were eligible to help other Christians in the prison system. Okay? So, using some wisdom is a good idea. It's important to use some wisdom. We're instructed to use wisdom, right? And God will give us wisdom. So that's what I'm saying. And you're witnessing to your friends, to your family, to others. Use some wisdom. Don't beat them over the head. That's usually ineffective. So, you know, you get to know them and look for an opportunity to present the gospel. In his story, and, and truly amazing story, if you get a copy and read it, is the fact that his escape from China was so miraculous. His legs were broken. He was in prison. They wanted to make sure he couldn't escape, so they broke his legs, beat him mercilessly, and such that that one of the other church leaders that were in that same maximum security prison would have to take him to the toilet to the hall. And the word of the Lord came to his wife, who was also in prison simultaneously, and this 
other pastor simultaneously and in a prayer to him that he needed to escape immediately from this prison. Immediately. And he's like, how? My legs are broken. How do I escape? How am I going to escape from the prison? My legs are broken. And that pastor that was next to him, Pastor Z, grabs him by the arms and says, you must escape from this place now. With broken legs and all. And walks him, gets permission to come out of his, his cell to go to the toilet. And as he's carrying him, suddenly he's walking. He doesn't know how he's walking. And he walks right through the gate that was open simultaneously as another prisoner was coming in. He steps through, and as if the guard didn't see him, he walks through that. And there's a broom. He picks up the broom and he walks down as if he's sweeping. And he walks through another set of gates. And it's again, as the guards don't see him, the gate opens. And he walks through that gate until he walks out of the maximum security prison there in China with the prisoners all looking down and watching him walk out of this prison to a taxi cab that happens to just be waiting outside the door, who he instructs to drive him away. That's the only escape that's ever taken place in that maximum security prison. There's a whole lot of problems for those that didn't take care of business. But that's how miraculous God can work. He did it for Peter, he can do it for, you know, Brother Yoon, he can do it for anybody. Miracles do happen. Why did God do that for him? He doesn't know. All he knows, he escaped and, and, and wound up being able to come to the West and, and uh, provide for those that are in that church, Bibles and funding and etc. And, and I think it's important to understand his whole philosophy is, as we were singing that last song, it's all for Jesus. That's the important part of this. Who are we serving? We're serving the, serving the risen Lord. That's who we're serving. It therefore should not be a case of, uh, well, this is putting me out. No, it's not. He put himself out. It can't be you're being put out by doing the thing that God has told us all to do. Go out into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, every creature. I mean, is that putting us out? No, I don't think it is. I don't think so at all. One of the things that I know for fact is most everybody struggles with the fear of man. I mean, that's not unusual. We fear that, you know, there may be repercussions from our witnessing Christ or something. Maybe somebody will be offended. That's a popular word. Uh, okay, so that's fine. I think we do know and have read how people have literally in our time are losing their jobs or won't get promotions because they're known to be a Christian. How crazy is that? Because that, that's going on in our world. All right? It's an unfortunate thing and it does and potentially can create uh, fear I don't know about how many of you saw this posting, uh, this posting was from last year, but uh, this one gentleman decided that all us evangelical Christians are the American Taliban. I don't know if you read that. But that's what we're now considered as believers. So understand persecution is going to show up here in this country. To what extent and how bad, I don't know. But when you've got this person and everybody's reading his articles and he's calling all us Christians, the Taliban, American Taliban, there's a problem. So this last week, I've kind of forgotten about that post, that, that article from last year. Somebody on my Facebook uh, persons posted that on their website, on their Facebook page. 
Now, I'm really tempted to say, boy, it's nice to know what you think about that. But I chose not to say anything, because most of the time you're better off to say nothing on our Facebook syllabus. But in any event, my point is, some of our own friends and neighbors, that's what they think about us as evangelical Christians. You just got to know this. You know, kind of a mindset that's out there. It's unfortunate. But again, we cannot fear men. Um, the, the thing that Brother Yoon pointed out in it is one of his quotes. The world can do nothing to a Christian who has no fear of men. Who can't do a thing? They tried to kill him. They did everything they could to him. That didn't stop him. Why? So they killed him. That's okay. I'm with Jesus. That's fine. So his point is, they, what are they going to do to you? The worst they can do is going to kill you. And he went through prison like stuff that you, know, you can read about it pretty often. Um, I think we have uh, a responsibility as believers to get that message out to the world. I think it's very possible that a lot of us, because of fear, draw back. Um, one of the things there is the fear of failure. Now I've often said failure is a great motivator. About anybody you. But one of the greatest motivators in my life has been the fear of failure. I don't want to fail. And failing is no, not an option. You've heard that, that terminology. Well, I don't want to fail. I don't know anybody that does want to fail. Uh, but when it comes to witnessing, yeah, I definitely don't want to fail. Because that's really important. And the fear of failing someone in presenting the gospel is kind of a big deal in my mind. Maybe it's not so much in yours, but it is for me. But being the master of a ship, I have a little bit different perspective. Uh, I'm going to read something to you that is what every mariner knows, because it's the law. The master of a ship at sea, which is in a position to be able to provide assistance on receiving information from any sort that persons are in distress at sea, is bound to proceed with all speed to their assistance, if possible, informing them or the search and rescue service that the ship is doing so. Okay, that's been my life. Right? That's what I was trained to do. So in my brains, yeah, can't speak for everybody else, but that's how I think. Right? I have a responsibility to proceed at all speed to that person, to help that individual. However, I can. Um, so to me, that's really a, a very important thing. And I see the peril that they're in, the loss of their eternal soul. What more peril can there be? I don't know of any more peril than that. And so that becomes of paramount importance to my mind, and more importantly, of paramount importance to Christ, that we as believers are willing to do the thing he told us to do. And that is, all right, so then we go out and we do these things. I, I think this is very important. I know you're going to run into individuals that are going to be highly resistant to the message. We all have. You probably have family members or friends that are highly resistant to that message. Right? Um, my friend Dan Johnson's here today, so you know I'm going to mention his name. But when Dan came to Christ five, six years ago, all right, uh, he didn't know he was going to be a witness to his friends and his family. But that's what Dan is now. Right? And, and he's not going to witness the way I witness. But they see the transformation in Dan. And so some of his friends, one of our mutual friends, 
um, who he was with out hunting and was going through difficulties, uh, Dan was able to to give some words of prophet them. And, and the fellow was like, well, I didn't know you were a believer. You know, like, I didn't know that. I didn't know Dan for a while. Right. That was his opportunity to plant a seed in that man's life. Right. What will come of that seed? I don't know. Dan doesn't know. But a seed was planted there. And, and, and that's the opportunity we have. Vin happens to be here today. Also, somebody didn't know they're going to be here. Uh, so Vin Howell and I were scheming and coming up with some ideas, and this was, I don't know, five, six years ago also. He's thinking, well, how can we reach some of our friends with some kind of an activity that we could do that we can invite our buddies to that are not Christians per se and do something? So, uh, newsflash, we play poker. Ooh. Yeah, so they came up, how about we play poker night? Nick Lane poker night. Uh, my oh my. Really? <laughs> yeah. Over my house, your house, and we'll invite our friends and we'll see how that plays out. Well, you know, that's played out really well because it's a safe space. We're just coming over here to play some Bitcoin poker. Uh, it's a $5 buy-in if anybody wants to play. If you lost five bucks in a night, you really had a bad night. If you won two or three, uh, yeah, you did. Anyway, but the point was it was an opportunity to be friends and make relationship with other guys. Right? And so in that process, we've been able to witness to these other guys. And it just seems with regular guys that when we have an opportunity, Ben and I will be talking about things that the Lord has done. Right in front of them. Like you're right there. It's cool. They're like, hmm, okay. They're hearing all that. That's okay. I don't know whatever you do. I know you land with your quill house. He's not afraid to mention a word or three or four about the Lord. All right. But whatever opportunity any of you get, that's the opportunity. Make the best of the opportunity, whatever you think of. We do game night. Why do we do game night? To invite folks, not just us, but from this community to come here. And maybe there's an opportunity to witness Christ to that person or pray with them or pull them aside and help them in some way. That's why we do some of the things that we do here in this church. Right? Uh, it's not just our benefit, it's for the community's benefit, and ultimately, hopefully, for if those are not if those that are lost, come to salvation. That's what that's the whole point. And then the last one, which I, I probably I don't know, yeah, maybe I'm weird on this one, but the fear that that new Christian isn't going to be raised up in the world. In other words, you bring you bring somebody to the Lord, and then. Okay, now I've got, to, I've got to disciple them. I've got to rear them up. I've got to train them up in, in the Lord. Well, guess what? That doesn't always work like that. Uh, sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. Some of you may have remembered, I, I've told a few stories of individuals that I brought to the Lord at literally the 11th hour prior to leaving ship or them leaving my ship. And, 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 they, and, and they received Christ right there, and then I'm gone or they're gone. Well, I have to put them in the hands of the Lord and say, well, Hey, he's yours. I mean, I, I did what I was supposed to do. I presented that gospel message. They prayed to receive Christ, and boom, they're gone. They're out there. I don't know. If these guys that I know, I don't know what happened to them. That's all again. So I don't know. I can only trust that the Lord worked in their hearts and brought that to maturity. And so I stand on the, on the Word. And we, we talked about this, Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this, that he who has begun a good work in you will carry it 
on to completion until the day of Christ. That's what we want. It isn't relying on ourselves. Yes, if I can disciple somebody and prefer to do it that way, I feel a lot better about it. But that's not always the case. And so, uh, if you meet somebody and you have the opportunity to present the gospel to them, uh, don't make it difficult and trip them up and, and do a bunch of stuff. Bring them to the Lord and trust that the Lord will do the rest. I think that's an important part. And so, although I've had times where I thought, this guy's going to go, gone, and that's that. No, that's, that's the Lord's responsibility. It's not mine. I'm not Jesus for them. Jesus is Jesus for them. Right? My job is to present the message, and so that's what I do. As Paul said in Philippians, uh, that's going to be uh, 120, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is death. I think that should be all our lives. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are the great I am, that we can rely upon you, that we know that you care about everyone, that you love everyone so much that this Son, Jesus Christ, died on the cross and was raised again. Father God, that we would sense the urgency of the hour, that we would realize that time is short, that, Lord God, that we would not be ashamed of the gospel, that we would not be fearful of men, but, Father God, that we would announce the truth of your love and the work that was finished on the cross. I thank you, Lord God, that each and every one of us has opportunity with our friends and our family to present the gospel message. Lord God, that they might hear and that they might receive. Amen.